If you're new to Destiny, we want to say welcome. We're glad that you're here today. My name is Matt Bell, and I'm the pastor here at Destiny Church. And we're just so glad that you would come and worship with us today. We pray that through our time of worship that you feel God's presence, through our time in His Word that He speaks to you today. You know, we, we, as we open the pages of Scripture, what we find is that we serve a God who speaks, who speaks, that, that he, he doesn't just, He didn't just create the world and, and leave us spinning in outer space, but that He, he has come and, and spoken to us and revealed Himself to us for one purpose, so that we could know Him, and through knowing Him that we could have life eternal. Amen. And so uh, today we're going to spend some time in God's Word today. Now, how many of you love Christmas? Yeah. Amen. If I can't get an amen for Christmas, we're in trouble. Listen, Christmas is the most wonderful time of the year. Are you convinced of that? I am. I love Christmas. I love the lights. I love the music. I especially love the food, the sweets. Uh, it was just, I don't know what it is about Christmas that you just always have a plate of cookies or banana bread or tamales, thank you, and enchiladas and, no? Oh, just tamales, okay, sorry. Still, still learning. So, wonderful time of year and, uh. Where was I going with that? Oh, yes, and so we, we celebrate, we're celebrating the, the most important person who's ever lived, the birth of Jesus Christ. And now we, of course, was Jesus born on December the 25th? I don't know. Maybe. Could have been. We don't know for sure. We have a one in 365 chance of, of being right. And I was thinking the other day, it'd be funny if we all got to heaven and Jesus said, man, my birthday was December the 26th. You guys, you guys had it this close. But we don't know. But Jesus' birth, it's worth celebrating. It's worth celebrating. And so I say let's celebrate. Let, let's Let's enjoy the life that we have through him and let's share it with people that we love. There's nothing wrong with that. It's good to celebrate. So we're celebrating Christmas and uh, the other night, me and Heather, we took our little family to Six Flags Fiesta, Texas and we went and saw all the lights. They got a bunch of lights out there and They've got this uh, Christmas program that they put on called The Majesty of Christmas, and it's all about Jesus and Mary and Joseph and the angels and the, the, the wise men. If, if you're looking for something to put you in the, the Christmas spirit, man, go see that. It's 100% it's Bible, 0% anything else. It will bless you. It will really bless you. So we went and saw that, and... It was a little bit cool Friday night, and I kind of got that Christmas spirit going on a little bit. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Just that little extra bit of excitement where you go home and you let your kids eat ice cream, you know, and it just, you just want to be happy, and, and, and it's just something to think about and to reflect on the fact that Jesus Christ came 
that, that he really did come and that, that God really had a plan to, to save his people, that he really had a plan to save me and you and, and to bring us into his family and, and Jesus coming into the world, that the world in darkness because of sin, but Jesus bringing the light from heaven to earth and to think about it, it, it just, man, it's awesome. And in, in that, you know, sometimes we can get caught up in the, the commercialization of Christmas. And we, we don't want to do that. We don't want to make Christmas just all about buying stuff and helping retailers, you know, get out of the red and into the black. That's not, that's not why Jesus came, so that, you know, retailers could make a profit at the end of the year. Um, we don't want to get caught up in that, you know. The other night, we were watching the Spurs game, and um, pray for me, I'm watching the Spurs this season, so <laughs> anyway, the, there was some car commercial on, and, and out, you know, the, the, the guy goes and buys his wife a car, and she comes out and has a big bow on it, and I, I turned to Heather, I said, does anybody do that? Like, how many car commercials have their husbands buying a wife or their car at Christmas? I've never known anybody that did that. Anyway, it's, that's not what Christmas is about. Christmas is not about having Lexus or Toyota or Honda have a profitable year. It really is about taking some time to recall that God sent his son into the world to save us, the Savior, the Messiah. And so this morning, I felt impressed to, to share with you an idea, a, a thought that, that I think we should reflect on every year. And, and sometimes we can forget this, but it's really important that us as Christians, that we remember this thing, this thought, this idea. And that is that way before Jesus was ever born, that God had set forth a plan, that, that there was a plan, that it, it wasn't just an accident. It, it didn't all just like fly together randomly, that God had been planning and putting the pieces in place for millennia before Jesus came. And what the Bible tells us is that Jesus came in the fullness of time at the right time at the perfect time, according to, Acts chapter 2 says, according to the plan and foreknowledge of God. And that, that our world is not random. Your life is not a, just a, a bunch of random events that have no meaning and, and no purpose. That as we look at the God that we serve, the creator, the, the designer, we can see that he has a plan. And that we as his people are part of his plan. And sometimes in, in our lives we can, we can feel like it's just random or that this randomly happened or, or, or that it's just circumstance or, or coincidence. I don't believe in that. And that as we look at the pages of scripture, as we examine some things today, I, I hope that it will help you understand that, that there's a plan and a purpose at work in our lives. And, and our job as God's people is to, to get on board with his plan and, and accomplishing his purpose 
for the salvation of humanity. So I, I just want, want you to know that in the Bible, there are over 300 prophecies about the Messiah. In, in, when you go to the pages of what we call the Old Testament, there are over 300 prophecies, 300 predictions about who the Messiah would be, where he would be born, the things that he would do. Over 300. You see, for 4,000 years, it was 4,000 years between Adam and Eve and when Jesus was born. 4,000 years, God had been preparing to bring his son into the world, preparing for the Messiah to come. In fact, we see the first prophecy, the first messianic prophecy of the Savior right after Adam and Eve sin in Genesis chapter 3. God makes a promise and he says, I'm going to send a descendant of Eve who's going to come and crush the head of the serpent, crush the head of Satan, defeating the enemy of God and the enemy of God's people. That was the first. But over the course of the next 4,000 years, there was over 300 times that, that God sent a messenger to his people to say, this is who the Messiah is going to be. These are the things that he's going to accomplish. Why did he do that? So that when the Messiah came, we could know who he was. So that we didn't miss him. So, so that we could, could know for sure and for certain who this person was. Over 300 prophecies in the Old Testament. Now, I want you to know something. There's only one person who has fulfilled them all. And his name is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the Savior, is the Messiah, is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. There's only one person. So this morning, I, I, in, in helping you to, to see and to know that God has a plan for you, for your life, I want to look at eight, eight of the prophecies, the predictions that, that were made about Jesus. And we're going to look at some of the more specific ones today. Now, now certainly in this 300, some are, are a little bit generic. Some are generic. Some could apply to lots of people. Like, for example, in the book of Psalms, uh, Psalm 69, 9, David writes about the Messiah that he will be someone who has a lot of zeal for God's house. Now, certainly there's been lots of people that have had zeal for God's house. So some of these 300 prophecies, they're somewhat generic. Some of them are quite specific, like Isaiah 7, 14, that says that Jesus would be born of a virgin. That, that's, that's pretty specific. I only know of one person who's born of a virgin, and it's not Anakin Skywalker from Star Wars. It's... It's Jesus Christ. But I want to look at eight of these more specific prophecies about Jesus. And, and, and as we go through this list of these eight, I, I just want you to think about what is the probability? What is the probability that, that these will be fulfilled 
by one person. It's quite astonishing to think about. Number one, that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. We see that predicted in Micah chapter 5, verse 2. And we see that it comes to pass in the Gospels that talk about where Jesus was born, specifically in Matthew, Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. Now, do you know how many people have ever been born in Bethlehem? I'll tell you. There's people who have studied this stuff out. For, for Our best guess is that since Bethlehem has been a city, for, for the majority of time that Bethlehem's been a city, it's been a very small city. Couple hundred people around the time that Jesus was born. But total, they estimate that about 280,000 people have been born in Bethlehem since it's been a city. Really, it's a town when Jesus was born. Really, it's kind of like a, what's, after, what's below a town? A village. Yeah, thank you. Right, it, like Bethlehem probably wouldn't have even had a stoplight on, on the, the highway, right? You, you would fly through it and you didn't even realize that about 280,000 have been born in Bethlehem. Now think about how many people who, who have ever been born, they, they estimate that it's, well, depending on when you want to start counting, but anyway, the, the high estimates are about 88 billion people who have ever lived. So of those 88 billion people that have ever lived, only 280,000 could have been potential for Messiah because they had to be born in Bethlehem. Do you, do you understand how this works? Okay, after this, they said that the Messiah in Malachi chapter 3, verse 1, that the Messiah would have a messenger who would go before him to prepare the way. Someone who would go and, and prepare the way for him to come. Of course, we see in the Gospels that John the Baptist is the fulfillment of that prophecy, that John the Baptist prepared the way for Jesus to come and for Jesus to do his ministry. So then it goes from, okay, p- people who had a ministry, who were, who were born in Bethlehem, how many of them had someone who had a messenger who went and prepared the way for them to come before their ministry started? Number three is that the Messiah would enter into Jerusalem riding on a donkey, Zechariah 9.9. So then it goes from, okay, how many people who were born in Bethlehem who had a messenger go and prepare the way for them actually entered into Jerusalem as a king riding on a donkey? Do you see how the the scope really begins to narrow for, for who the Messiah could be? Number five, that the the Messiah would be betrayed by a close friend. And number four, that he would be sold for 30 pieces of silver, right? Sold for 30 pieces of silver, betrayed by a close friend. It gets narrower and narrower and narrower. Number six, that the Messiah, when he's put on trial, will not make a defense for himself, but will rather be silent. Like just the, the fact that this one happened. How many people who are innocent, who are put on trial, how many of them just sit there quietly and don't say, I didn't do it, I didn't, I'm not innocent. Jesus remains silent before his accusers. Number seven, from Psalm 22, verse six, that the Messiah would be pierced 
through his hands and his feet. Did you know that, that this Psalm, Psalm 22, 16, this was written before crucifixion had even been invented. There wasn't even such a thing yet as crucifixion when this Psalm was written. And yet we see that Jesus, of course, fulfilled it. In Psalm twenty-two, eighteen, it tells us that men will gamble for Jesus' clothing, that they will cast lots, that they will, they will wager, that they will enter into a game of chance to see who would win Jesus' clothing. All of these prophecies, all eight of them, plus all 300 of the other, Jesus Christ fulfilled. And you have to say, well, what are the odds? Not that just one person would fulfill one of these, but that one person would fulfill all of these. And honestly, it's, it's larger than you and I can even begin to comprehend. There was a mathematician who did a study on this. He studied the mathematical probability that one man not would fulfill all 300 prophecies. That number is actually incalculable. He did a study on these eight, these specific eight. And what, are the, what is the probability that one man could fulfill just these eight? And his name was Peter Stoner. He wrote a book on this, on the, on the science of, 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 of the, the prophecies and, and, and the mathematical probability of it being fulfilled. And the number is quite large. It's one in 10 quadrillion. That's one with 16 zeros after it. Now, that's even more than our national debt. Like, that is so large. It, it's, it's impossible for us to even comprehend the enormity of this number. But to illustrate it, he, he gives this illustration. He says, to, to, to understand how impossible it is that one person could fulfill all of these prophecies, the, the mathematic improbability, he says, take a silver dollar. I showed my kids a silver dollar the other day. They, they didn't believe me that it was a whole dollar. But anyway, <laughs> you take a silver dollar, and you mark it. Mark it really clearly. Okay, I've got this silver dollar. Now, you take that silver dollar, and if you took... 10 quadrillion other silver dollars, you would lay them across the face of Texas. And if you laid 10 quadrillion silver dollars across the face of Texas, they would be two feet deep. I'm talking from Houston to Amarillo to the Panhandle to El Paso, right? We sing that song about Texas and how awesome it is. And I love Texas. It's the best country in the world. I mean, it's awesome, right? We're proud to be Texans. Amen. <laughs> but, like, you, you take 10 quadrillion silver dollars, you lay them across the face of Texas, every inch of Texas, it would be two feet deep. Now, you take that one silver dollar and you put it somewhere in the middle and you shuffle the whole thing up, and you send one guy out blindfolded, and you tell him, pick 
that silver dollar. That is the odds that one person would fulfill those eight prophecies. Jesus Christ has fulfilled all 300 of them. I'm telling you, this is something that we need to to remember. We need to reflect on. We we need to understand that, that the things that were happening before Jesus came were setting the stage for him to come. But the things that are happening now in your life and in my life, they're setting the stage for Jesus to return. And just as important as the saints were who lived before Jesus came, so is your life in preparing for his return. That just as God had a plan to bring Jesus into the world the first time, God is working a plan to bring Jesus back to have him return. We need to remember this. We need to think about this. So what does this mean for us today? Well, this means, first of all, that we can know that the Bible is true. Hello? That, that the Bible is true. That, that every word proves true. That every promise, that every prophecy, that every prediction that God has made about the Messiah, that it, that it is proved true. And so I believe beyond a shadow of a doubt that the Bible truly is God's word. It's God's word. It's not the invention of of people, but it's actually God speaking through human authors to bring us his revelation, to bring us his word. You know, the Bible is actually a collection of books. It's actually a, a small library, 66 books. The Bible has 40 different authors who wrote over a period of time of 1,500 years. They wrote in three different languages on three different continents from different eras, from different cultures, from different millennia, from different times and seasons. Yet, over this 40-author span and 1,500-year span of time, there is one story told from the beginning until the end. It is the story of God redeeming his people from beginning to end. How is it that 40 different authors from three different languages over a span of 1,500 years could write and not contradict each other one time? Consistent, clear. It's because truly Scripture has one author. One author, one voice. And it is God himself speaking, revealing to us. And, and, and fulfilled prophecy is one of the ways that we can know that truly the Bible is God's word. Second Peter verse 1, 19, 19 through 21, it says this. We have the prophetic message as something completely reliable. And you would do well to pay attention to it as to a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your heart. What he's saying is until Jesus returns, pay careful attention to God's word. 
because it's like a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. It, it truly is a light shining in our dark world. It brings illumination into to things that are sometimes foggy and, and confusing. When you shine the light of God's word, things become clear. This is what he's saying. But he says this, above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture has come about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. For prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Here, Peter says that, that the Scripture, that, that, that it, it was not man's ideas, man's thoughts, man's words. That the Scriptures don't have their origin in humanity. They truly do have their origin in divinity. And that through the Spirit of God, that it was as, as if God carried up, that he picked up his prophets and carried them along as they delivered God's message. That the scripture is not the words of men, but it truly is the word of God. 2 Peter 3.16, the apostle Paul affirms this. He says, all scripture is God-breathed or God-inspired and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. When we examine the prophetic evidence Alone, the conclusion, the only conclusion is that only God could write these words. Who, who else could predict all of these things? What, what are the odds? It's incalculable. It's only if you knew the end from the beginning. It's only if you already could see the future as God we know sees the future. It's only if you are the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. Is the only way, the only logical conclusion as we see the, the word of God fulfilled in prophecy is that it truly is the word of God. Have you ever had someone come to you with an investment opportunity and they said it was a sure investment? This, this thing is lined up like, if you invest your money, you're going to get a, a, a return. There's no doubt. Have any of you invested your money in a sure investment and lost all your money? No? Okay. Like, have, have any of you invested in something that you thought was going to be solid and it, it looked like everything lined up, but in the end, it just didn't work out that way? Okay, thank you. God's word is not like that. God's word is not like that. I want to encourage you, if you study this book out, what you will find is over and over and over and over again that God is the author, that God is the one who is speaking, that there is absolutely no way that this book could have been put together by human authors. It is impossible. But what's impossible with man is possible with God. And with God, all things are possible. 
The second thing, so the first thing is that we can know that God truly is the author of Scripture. The second thing that we can know and be sure of is that God is always faithful to keep his word. That God is always faithful to keep his word. That God is always faithful to keep his promises. Psalm 100 verse 5 says, For the Lord is good, his steadfast love endures forever, and his faithfulness is to all generations. Listen, as we study God's word, it tells us clearly that he is good and that he is faithful. God can be trusted because he is good and he is faithful. When things don't seem like they're going the right way, when there's disappointment in our life, when there's pain and there's hurt and there's heartache and even loss, in those moments we can take comfort in the scripture that teach us that God is good and that God is faithful. And even though there are times where we experience those things in this life, that he will never leave us or that he will never forsake us and that he's always with us. And even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we will fear no evil because he is always with us. The good shepherd taking care of us, watching over us. His faithfulness is not, it has not been depleted. It's it's to all generations. So God can be trusted with your life, with your career, with your children, with your marriage, with your health, with your finances. God can be trusted with your past, with your present, and most certainly with your future. God always keeps his word, always. Jeremiah 17 verse, uh, Jeremiah 1 verse 12, God says that I am watching over my word to perform it. That God is performing his word. He's acting out his word. He's he's guarding. He's he's making sure that everything that he has promised, that it will come to pass. God is not like us, who even though we make promises, sometimes we don't keep them. Ever made a promise you didn't keep? God is not like that. A lot of times we make promises that we intend to keep, but circumstances, things outside of our control, we're not able to keep our word. Listen, God is not like that because everything is in God's control. God will keep and is keeping and has kept every single one of his promises. God's word never fails. God's word never fails because God never fails to keep his word. The reason why God's word never fails is because God never fails to keep his word. And as we look at the promises that have been fulfilled in the past, it gives us hope and confidence and a surety for the promises that he has made about the future. That Jesus Christ is returning that we who are a part of his family will spend eternity together with him in a kingdom without end, in a place where there is no more heartache, no more pain, no more suffering, no more crying, no more tears, no more sickness, no more cancer, no more surgeries, no more death, where every enemy, no more sin, where everything that has gone wrong will be made right, where every separation between us and God will be removed forever, and we will share with him in his presence, in his glory, forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever. 
Amen. So we can have confidence in this. It gives us an assurity that that even in the the struggles of life, that, that there is a plan, that there is a purpose. And some will say, I've heard it said before, if Jesus was going to come back, he would have come back by now. It's been 2,000 years. Where is he? Did he get lost? Is he using Siri for his directions? Like, how is he not here by now? Have you heard someone say that to you before? Do you know God even gives us an answer for that in his word? God even gives an answer for that in his word. 2 Peter 3.8, he says, Do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. God doesn't count time the way that we do. He's outside of time. He's not constrained by time. A day is as a thousand years. A thousand years is as a day. It goes, it, it, it's nothing to him. For us, it's something. To God, it's nothing. It took God 4,000 years to bring Christ into the world the first time. It took God 2,000 years from calling Abraham to bringing Christ into the world. Listen, a thousand years is nothing to God. It could be another thousand years. It could be tonight. We don't know when Jesus is coming. But we do know one thing for sure. He is coming. He is coming. And the reason why God is waiting, verse 9 tells us, is because he is patient. He's wanting to leave a long time so that a lot of people can come into his family. He's waiting. He's patient. He's giving people opportunity to come to repent and to be received into his family. So I want to encourage you. You can trust that God's word is true. You can trust that he is the author of this book. You can trust that when you read this book, you're not hearing lies, that you're really receiving the truth. That in a world where there's so much deception and so much falsehood and and so much polarization between two sides and and, and two, peop- two, two parties can view the same events and, and take away two totally different outcomes. Listen, God's word is not like that. Listen, when, when you open this book, it's not fake news. It's only good news. It, it, it's, just, it's just the truth 24-7. It's just light. It's not darkness. It's just light. It's not fog. It, it's just the truth clear, clear and, and crystal clear and, and God's glory on display. So you can trust that this is God's word. You can also trust that God is going to keep and to fulfill his promises. Philippians 1.6 says this, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Listen, I don't know where you're at in, in your story today, but I'm confident of one thing, that God who began something good in you it's not going to leave you. It's not going to abandon you. It's not when the, when the going gets tough that God checks out. No, that God is going to complete the work that he has started. That he will ensure that you make it to the end. 
When you close your eyes in this life, you will open them in glory, staring into the face of Jesus to spend eternity with him. He will complete his work. He's going to complete his work in you. Trust in him. Hold on to his word. Hold on to his promises. Don't throw in the towel. Don't listen to the voice of the enemy that says, yeah, but, yeah, but this, yeah, but that. No, you tell the enemy, yeah, but the cross, and, and yeah, but Jesus, and, and yeah, but God's word. Submit to God, resist the devil, he will flee from you. Like, tell that liar where he can go. Silence him with the truth of God's word every day. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your promises to us that are sure, Lord, that we can have confidence that you have a plan. Lord, just as you worked through Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and, and Moses and, and David and the prophets, Lord, to, to bring Jesus into the world, so, Lord, you are working through us today, your church, Lord, to prepare the world for your return Lord, help us to be about and active in, in what you are doing in our lives and through our lives, Lord, because they matter. The things that we do matter for you, for other people, for your kingdom. Lord, help us to see that the promises that you have made to us are good, are sure. Lord, that they have been fulfilled uh, in Jesus Christ, that all of the promises have their yes and their amen in him. And so, Lord, as we are in Christ, we are recipients of the, the blessing, the promise that you made to Abraham and to all of your people. Lord, thank you for sending your son Jesus who came at the right time, at the perfect time, to redeem our lives, to bring your light into our world. Help us to live for your glory each and every single day. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.